Welcome to The Grind, a church planting podcast by the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, full of practical tips, missional strategies, and personal stories to bring you insights and encouragement on your church planting journey. We're your hosts, Neil Scoggins and Greg Addison, coming to you live from Little Rock. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Grind. This is Neil Scoggins. Uh, my co-host, Greg Addison, is... Um, you know, Ghost, I guess. We're going to change his name to Ghost. At some point, he may drop in with us. So we're just so happy that you've uh, joined us today on the ground. Today, we searched far and wide, and uh, we went to the highest highs and got one of the best uh, people to talk about small groups that we could find in the entire world. And then we found Bob Johnson. Bob, so happy that you are here with us today on the grind. Bob, you are, how you feeling, man? I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and arrogant at the moment with that uh, introduction. <laughs> I thought you were talking about David Bond for a second, no. but uh, no. sure, why not? No, no, you are you are indeed taller than David Bond. Okay, you are. Yeah, you are. Yeah, even with the lifts in his shoes, yeah, you are taller than David Bond. Actually, actually is. Uh, but no, you are the. Now here's the deal. Now here's the, here's the real deal. The the uh, the conversation has been stated. Uh, worldwide, and you know, I dare say international, that you are the small group guru when it comes to uh, helping people start small groups, transitioning small groups, um, getting churches kind of on the right track. That's that's what I'm hearing. I don't know. Do my ears deceive me? Or? No, you just need to broaden your circles a little bit <laughs> and uh, stay out of my office when I'm talking about myself that way. <laughs> there you go. No, but to the, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's uh, it's one of those small groups is one of those things that, that every church planter talks about. It's something that every church planter, uh, I guess they need. Uh, but but having an effective small group. Uh, the church plant has an opportunity to start everything right, to kind of mm-hmm. jump out there and do everything right. So since the listeners don't know uh, exactly who you are, Bob, they don't know you as well as I do. So just uh, we only have two and a half hours on the podcast. So go ahead and, and share a piece about your resume of uh, who Bob Johnson actually is. Wow. Uh, well, uh, for the for the convention, I'm, I work on the evangelism church health team and I do small groups and Sunday school, that's uh, kind of one of the primary things there. But uh, in in other areas of the building, I'm also the associational liaison. That's actually where I've worked with some of our church plants uh, when, when I was in North Arkansas, some of the church plants there. And then uh, I'm the contact for conflict reconciliation team, which is something, uh, another ministry we provide, which is uh, not anything we're going to get into today. But uh, No. Uh, no. So does, does that mean lines. you break up fights? Is that what that means? You, you we clean up, up after fights is basically gotcha. what it boils gotcha. down to. But uh, gotcha. it's, a, it's an interesting uh, ministry in and of itself. Uh, prior to that, just about done everything you can do in a church. Uh, I was sure? a music director for a long time. Of course, the old uh, infamous music and youth stuff, um, children, senior adults, things. The only thing I really haven't been is a senior pastor, although I was the the only staff member on two different occasions when we didn't have a pastor. So I functioned as a senior pastor a couple of different times. Uh, always been in churches that were highly mission-minded, uh, churches that planted some other churches and uh, and started some other churches, so I've always been kind of involved in that process, so that's been kind of a 
uh, kind of a cool thing. Even when I was a youth, Daryl Bridges, who's pastor over at Clarksville right now, uh, we actually, Daryl Bridges started a church uh, just outside of Washington, D.C. when I was a youth. Uh, we, we went over there on a mission trip, and that's, I mean, kind of where we first started doing some church planting, if you want to call it that, and that was several many years ago. But uh, so, uh, no, just done just about everything, but uh, enjoy enjoy what it is God has me doing. So, Wow. So, so fit in that whole small group piece in kind of your journey. I mean, are you, what got you interested and connected? And because you and I have conversations, uh, uh, being at the convention, we have conversations about small groups and about uh, church plants and how they do what they do. So how did you personally kind of, were you ever, and I'm putting you on the spot with this one, but were you ever a part of a small group? That is an interesting question. Was I ever a part of a small group? Uh, well, I, threw, I threw you out there, man. Yeah. Like you didn't see what was that was, coming. That was in the, in the pre, uh, pre-publication notes. But uh, <laughs> I, yes, I mean, yes, I have been. Um, but as a staff member that moved from position to position, from church to church, I was telling somebody just the other day, I never was a Sunday where I wasn't at a, I mean, even when I went from my old church to a new church, there was never a break. So I've always been on staff, uh, but yes, I have been part of, but most of the time when I was part of a small group, I was the facilitator. I was the teacher. Wow. Uh, and in, in the years I was at uh, First Harrison and also in uh, in uh, seminary in, uh, at Wake Crossroads and Seminary, uh, yeah. I, I was functioning as a small group uh, leader, not not a single small group leader, but the whole ministry. Uh, yeah. So that was that fell under my purview of our ministry. So that is an interesting question, and it's probably a dangerous thing that I haven't been overly involved in small groups. But uh, I, well, it sounds like you have been overly involved, but yeah. just overly involved in facilitating and leading and yes, and all of that for the most part. Damn. When when I stopped doing the worship leading, uh, which was about midway through my fourteen years at First Harrison, and, and got into uh, the more the minister of education, executive pastor role. Now, my wife and I did attend uh, a Sunday school class then, part of a small group then. Now, the discipleship type stuff, the 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 evening small group, in home small groups, almost always I was a facilitator in those cases. But gotcha. the Sunday morning group we were part of. Yep. Gotcha. You use the term uh, small group Sunday school. So when when we get engage in conversations, you know that's a dangerous kind of conversation mm-hmm. to get involved in and you're smirking there bob so i'm <laughs> trying to make sure that we that we traverse lightly yep. uh when we talk about sunday school but these are all church planters these are guys that are open-minded and are, and are trying to lay it out yep. uh, help me with the language between small group sunday school and is it the same uh, just your philosophy of those two uh, i view them as the same uh, a, the, the traditional Sunday school is the original small group. Um, and even even if you do surveys now and survey, say, a non-Christian area, uh, I think this showed up in Church List by Barna and Kenneman just a couple of years ago. Um, if you survey an area and say, okay, if, if you were willing, even non-church people, if you were willing to meet and meet in a small group, when would be the best time? The numbers are still like well over 70% that say Sunday morning is the best free time they have to, wow. to meet in a small group. So I, I know, especially with church planting and, and, and with the 21st century terminology, Sunday school is not really a cool term, but yeah. actually Sunday school was the original small group. Yeah. And uh, now I use I use both 
Uh, I use small groups, connect groups. I mean, I, I use them all interchangeably. Uh, I'm not that as hung up on the tech, the the terminology as I am the effectiveness of what they're trying to accomplish. Are you are you trying to take a person from point one point A in your in their walk with Christ to point B or C or D in their walk with Christ? Yeah. Uh, that's that's part of it. Uh, so uh, yeah, it, it it is kind of a big deal. But I I try and use them all interchangeably. Uh, it's still a sticking point for some people, uh, but but yeah, I don't necessarily do that. I would think 21st century church plant, um, you know, the term Sunday school may or may not be the best term they want to uh, jump out there with. Yeah. Uh, that's just, but the concept is that I think that like what you're saying, maybe the concept is really the same. Yeah. Let me take a, let me take a detour. I want to deal with, there are three things that you and I were talking about, but I want to take a detour before we go there. Okay. Uh, given the environment that we're in now, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit, uh, given the environment that we're in now, and we've had to now, by the time this airs, there will potentially be more churches that are starting to regather, reunify, uh, and kind of get back together. But during that time that everybody was kind of pulling back and kind of shifting, going online and all of that, do you think that that gave, and I asked you this question earlier before we, before we started uh, recording, do you think that that gave the small group um, concept validity because people were looking for community in some kind of way do you think churches were starting to see that or do you think it's it's pretty much the same people just they're going to do sunday school or they're going to do small groups or they're not going to do it do you think this time is kind of giving it validity or weight i I really think because it became kind of the default only way to connect in the church i think it did give it validity Uh, because the large groups the large group gatherings were one of the first things that were kind of banned for lack of a better term um, it, it gave, it gave that kind of validity. Some of the stories we're hearing from around the state, uh, is that, that pastors and staff and various uh, small group leaders are seeing, uh, connection points and people that they'd never seen before, even from within their own church. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I know this is more about church plants, but, uh, speaking of a traditional church plant, uh, t- traditional church setting, there are people that were not part of a small group before, that now have joined an online community of some sort because they were missing their one thing that they attended, which was, you know, the, the worship gathering on Sunday morning or whenever they attended. Yeah. So, you know, those that really wanted to stay connected, the only way they could was through the small group. So I think it did give some validity. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier that, that I'm not sure about the effectiveness of is, is I'm not sure about the effectiveness of the intimacy factor. Um, hmm. You know, when, again, pre-show, we were, uh, you know, I see three different levels of intimacy when, when you talk social media, like texting, Facebook, things like that. There's a real lack of intimacy there. So th- the term you used was uh, courage. The, the courage that someone might have on social media is much higher than it would be if they were face-to-face with someone. I, I see this online small group community is somewhere in the middle as well. I think there's there's a higher level of courage, but a lesser level of intimacy even in the Zoom small group type uh, uh, online small group community. So I, I, for that reason, I'm not sure it's quite as effective. Uh, but yeah. as far as uh, being an, a, a non-threatening, easier way for a person to, to come in that would never walk through the doors of a brick-and-mortar building, 
yeah. yeah, there's some there's some things that we're seeing there. We're seeing people pop into small groups that would never, or visit a church online that would never have done uh, done it in person. And yeah. so, uh, we've got to learn how to capitalize on that, though. I, I don't think That's anybody cool. really has a good plan for how they're going to follow up on that. And we're probably not too many weeks away from what we're hearing from churches. We're not too many weeks away from having to follow up on that. You so. mean follow up on how people connect, how people, whether connecting online or whatever. Well, you know, so let me let me push that marble down the road a little further. So would not the small group be the, and I'm not, you know, again, you're talking to church planters and church planters are, are trying to lay that out or guys, uh, teams that are getting ready to plant, you know, as they lay out their strategy, prayer strategy, um, uh, finance stewardship strategy, all this other stuff, gathering peace. Uh, would they not have the small group as that mechanism of assimilation? I mean, I don't know, Bob, you're grinning. Yeah. <laughs> they but, should. I mean, you've, you've answered your own question. The answer is yes, yeah. a definite yes. Uh, the yeah. small group has to be has to be the, the uh, process for us. You really can't assimilate in a worship service. I mean, I mean, there, yeah. there may be people yeah. that listen to this and, and you know, uh, disagree with that. You, there's no true assimilation in something as as disconnected. Now, the the worship is there, the spirit is there. The, you know, even in a smaller church plant, maybe starting out, uh, there there is that intimacy as well. But um, that is not a venue for truly connecting. Uh, like yeah. a small group can be, and definitely not a not a venue for assimilation. Where you know, if you're talking assimilation, you're talking bringing someone in. It can't just be a one-way street. It can't just be the sermon. You know, right. there, there right. has to be some give and take. There's got to be the opportunity for them to ask questions, to get answers, to to guide them biblically, to to begin that process of dis- discipleship, especially if you're talking about a new convert. And yeah. so, yeah, the, the, the small group environment is by far, uh, I mean, it's the best way to go about assimilating people in, 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 you know, and beyond. And so you've yeah. got to connect them. Uh, you got to figure out a way to connect them. So when I'm talking about coming out of this COVID and, and that we don't have the mechanisms in place to follow with it, I don't think that that a lot of our churches have truly been thinking prospect, assimilation, share the gospel uh, with these new people that have been signing in online or with these new people. Are they ready to follow up with these people? Uh, yeah. You know, you, you go back. 20 years to, to where everybody was, you know, the hot term was seeker. Okay. To some extent, that's what this, this opened a door for new seekers, right. For 2020 seekers. And are we ready to figure out what to do with these people that, that if, that we've come in contact with? So, uh, yeah, small groups is by far uh, the best mechanism to do that. Um, and it, you know, it helps that the, that a lot of the directives have been to keep the groups at, at 10 under 10 and under. Um, yeah. You know, some of the things that, that we see in small group ministry that where a small group starts to get a little unhealthy, especially when it comes to assimilation, is when they get too large. Uh, they get so large that it's not possible to adequately shepherd them. You know, you, gotcha. get, you got a popular teacher, whatever the case may be. And so some of these groups, you know, get to be a, a kind of a church within a church. And uh, they're no longer this this open, growing community anymore. They be, they've become this closed uh, community, so that's something you want to kind of keep an eye on and, and make sure you don't uh, you, you don't fall into is is closing off what was originally geared to be an open group, which lends itself to that type of assimilation, that type of gospel 
uh, sharing and that gospel uh, environment that you have there. So, so you, you talked about a couple of things, some terms I kind of want to deal with. So you talked about open group uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to a closed group. Yep. Uh, so, you know, as a, as a planter, I mean, I remember hearing about small groups and they're saying, okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking that's just, you know, four or five people we get together and then that's it. And whoever wants to come along, they can come along. I didn't think about, uh, prior to planting, I didn't think about, you know, would this be an open group? Will there be a closed group? What, if you have to define those and kind of break those down, how do you define open versus closed and, you know, or, or is there such thing as a closed group? We're talking about the church, right? Everybody should be able to come yeah. in. No, there is such thing as a closed group. Now, most churches, especially again, traditional churches, most, and most church planters will, will never say that, that they've got a closed group, especially not early on. Yeah. Uh, it, but most of your traditional churches will say they don't have closed groups either. But the way they wow. function daily, daily, they are closed. Uh, they, they fellowship (laughs) with it look like, (laughs) well, they fellowship mainly only with their own people. Uh, they're friendly and open to mainly their own people that, I mean, that's just a a naturally closed group. Uh, you know, we talk small groups, uh, actual curriculum and studies. Uh, one, one thing that closes groups is the curriculum. The curriculum itself can create a closed environment. For instance, if it's a, a eight week progressive study, you can't come in in week four that, right. that close <laughs> right. the group. Yeah. And so th- yeah. there's, you know, there, th- so that's going to be real awkward to bring someone in in week four when you you've covered these three topics the first several weeks. So, uh, but in, you know, in a church planting situation, um, the, the church planter is going to want, you're going to want to have some of both. Uh, number some, one, some open, some closed. some open, some close. Uh, in a church planter situation, where you're trying to develop your leadership team, your core group, when you're trying to get people on board with your vision and strategy, strategy, strategy. Excuse yeah, me. Say that three times fast. I, I tried, and it was not until the third time that I got it right. <laughs> yeah, but right. when you're trying to get them on board with it, that really needs to be a. Cl- I mean, I hate to say it, but that needs to be a closed group. It needs to be a vetted group. Because they're they're going to be your leadership on the front end. Yeah. You you yeah. don't want Joe Blow coming in off the street and immediately put him on your leadership team, and you haven't yeah. you haven't trained him. You have he doesn't know the vision. He, he you know yeah he may have been a deacon or he may have been something else somewhere else, or he may be a CEO at a you know a bank or something like that, and just a, a highly qualified individual. But you don't want to stick him on your leadership team without doing some training and get, making sure he's on board. Yeah. Because somebody yeah. with that kind of high high caliber personality and background is unless they're on board, they're going to cause that church planner problems. Yeah. Yeah. And Dave so, McClung talked about that with uh, guys coming in. Cause I asked him the question about, okay, so if you have a, a, a group and somebody actually comes in, what do you do? He says, will you assess, you know, kind of where they are, but there are certain things that they're invited to. And then certain things, because this is prior to, Mm-hmm. the large gathering prior to the right. early planting phase, just exactly what you're saying. These people have to, and for the church, let me just say this, for the church planter, you cannot be afraid to make the decision to close a group for just your leaders, just your yep. whatever, because like you said, if you don't, uh, and I, I am a witness as a church planter, that it will wreak havoc, that you will have to deal oh, with yeah. 
for quite some time unless God does something. And I have to say, thank God for the pandemic that kind of shut some stuff down. So yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're exactly right. And and that's they, they can't be afraid to say this group is closed. Yeah. Uh, it, now, on the flip side, that is one of the advantages of a church plant. Yes. You're, you're not trying to turn a battleship that's going, you know, say a traditional church that's been in existence for a long time. Uh, they live and breathe by their constitution, sometimes not by the Bible, by the constitution. Uh, but, uh, and so it's, it takes a long time to turn the culture of something that has been headed in a particular direction, not necessarily a bad direction, but, but with a church plant, some of this is stuff you can handle on the front end. And yeah. uh, so you set up that culture on the front end and you set that up with your leadership team. You set it up with, say, uh, membership training, uh, whatever, mm. whatever, various things that you, you take the people through. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing in some of our, some of our church plants and, and church plants that we've helped in, in, in uh, missions and so forth is a, which is totally opposite from a traditional Southern Baptist church. But we are seeing churches that may have five, six hundred attend, but their actual membership is just two hundred. Yeah, which yeah, is flip flopped yeah. from the the old resident membership is one thousand, but you're running twenty five. Right, um, right. And so, you know, I I actually think that's a healthier uh, deal because what you've got is you you're running five hundred, but you've got two hundred that are members. Those members have have been vetted. They know the vision. They know the strategy of the church. They know the heart of the pastor, uh, the church planter. And so I, I just think in a lot of ways that's a healthier approach to to say the opposite. What the opposite would be where you've got a thousand members and only a hundred coming. Yeah, um, be, yeah, you know that means nine hundred are not invested, nine hundred are not involved, nine hundred, you know, are, are not, not attending, engaged. They're not engaged they're not, at all. They're not mobilized. It, it affects no. your impact. Oh, and so, so I, I think the church planter has a has a better opportunity because he has a he has a clean slate. Uh, I I once, uh, and and uh, if, the, if the the guy remembers this, but uh, I once voted against a church plant, and one of the. Things one of the things I said, I didn't like the way it came to be. Uh, gotcha. But uh, one of the things I said is I told this particular guy because it was it was a person who was a staff member at a previous church that went and, and started the church plant. But one of the things I shared was, is I, I told him, I said, I think you took the easy way out. And and he questioned me and we're good friends. I mean, to this day, I mean, it's not that, not that this was a big deal, but he said, well, you, yeah, he said, you, you really think I took the easy way by church planting. My answer was it's easier to start from the beginning than to try and completely uh, turn something that is, is so unhealthy and, and so traditional uh, Around, I mean, it's just a difficult thing to do. And so, you know, I don't know that it's easier to do a church plant than it is to, to change a traditional church or, or refocus or repurpose a church. Uh, I don't know that that really is the case, but there are a lot of advantage to being able, advantages to starting on the ground floor, especially when we're talking uh, leadership development, when we're so, talking discipleship, when we're talking assimilating new members in. You, you can set the parameters on the front end and uh, it, you know, end up theoretically end up with a little bit healthier product because the people that are coming in know what the expectations are. Uh, yeah. And just tying it back to small groups, that's where those expectations are laid out. 
Yeah. You're, yeah. you're choosing leaders, you're developing leaders, you, you're, you're developing small group leaders that are part of the mission of that church. They're part of the vision of the church. They know the heart of that pastor. Uh, they know the heart of whatever that core group was that, that set it, uh, set this thing in motion. So, uh, you know, ideally that would be a healthier, I think a healthier way to approach it. And small groups would be the way to to pull it off. You j- you can't do that on a Sunday morning in the worship service. It's just not going to happen. And so uh, it sounds like you're, what you're saying, you know, that they are, you know, and I know everybody runs from it. And like, I, I think what you're saying is a lot of times people run away from the terminology, but the concept still needs to be there because uh, the concept of a small group to be able to pass that down. And one thing that you, we glossed over, we didn't jump into kind of want to jump into a little bit now is that whole discipleship piece of what the small group actually brings to that process. Go ahead. Were you going to jump in there and say, when I said discipleship, you, you, Oh, I, I you got excited. Yeah. My, yeah, the, yeah. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. And yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was excited about that. Well, I, I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, you know, when, when I go into a church and, and do training, uh, there, there are two, two key verses that I use. There's a lot of other verses, but I, I mean, I, I just basically use a great commission as a model. Now, Traditionally, we have used the Great Commission as an evangelism model, uh, but there's more than just the go part of the Great Commission. There is the go baptize, you actually see converts come come to Christ, and then there's the teach part, which we've done a good job of teaching. In a lot of our traditional churches, we got a lot of guys out there, a lot of people out there that are very smart and know the Bible, but it's the next part that's the actual discipleship part, and that is teach them to observe. That means they are living out what they have learned, and and I think you know, if there's a weakness in some of our churches today, we got a lot of smart Christians out there, which I think this is actually one of the three things we had talked about. We got a lot of smart Christians out there that know that have Bible, you use the term literacy, biblical literacy, but they're not living it out. Well, then that's not discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're not carrying out what, what God has shown them in his, there's no application of it. And uh, so, and that cannot be accomplished from the pulpit alone. Uh, and cannot, I don't see how it can be accomplished straight from, from the worship setting alone. Uh, I think that the purpose of those two things are are greatly different. Now, whether it takes place in just your small group or your connect group, or whether it goes beyond that, you know, there's, there was a big move in the past five to eight to 10 years to go even further than just the small group to the, uh, to the, you know, whether it's uh, Robbie Gallaty and his triads and quads or whether it's Putman and his accountability groups or who it may be, uh, of, of even taking whatever the weekly lesson was that maybe was covered in a general sense and then you meet somewhere else with three or four people and go even deeper. Uh, I, I like yeah. that model. Uh, that's, yeah. that's an extension of, of even deeper discipleship. And I've even seen situations with... Uh, Aaron Boswell in uh, Winnipeg, Canada, where he was doing that with uh, a couple of guys, and one of them was lost. One of them had accepted Christ, was a new convert, but he was discipling, teaching a lost guy in, in their, you know, was part of their their triad that they had, and right. and I thought that was very interesting, uh, especially because I'm not real convinced because of Paul's teaching that the natural man can understand the things of the spirit, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it's still was was you know following the process and introducing this guy to the gospel at the same time so um you know whatever that whatever that model looks like there's there should be this concept of we are taking a person thinking we are taking a person from 
um, being converted to observing the Great Commission word, observing what they're being taught. They're living that out. Now, the other yeah. passage that I use in my teaching is uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, where, where Paul says that we're given apostles and teachers and pastors and so forth uh, for the equipping of the saints to the ministry. This is one of, the, one of the issues we run into sometimes with church planters is, um, and I don't think they mean for it to happen this way, and, and sometimes they feel bad about it and they get burdened by it because it's such an overwhelming thing for them, um, but they become a one-man show, yeah, and that's not yeah. biblical. They yeah. are to equip the saints to do the ministry. Discipleship yeah. is the natural process for doing the ministry of and and what goes what what even goes on further there is we're equipping the saints to to do the ministry basically to the equivalent to the, so that they are mature to the level of Jesus Christ yeah which does not happen on this earth so yeah. it's it's yeah. a never ending discipleship is this never ending process until we're all in heaven until yeah. we're complete with, but but a lot of times all we do is we 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 got to get them in, we got to get them baptized, and then we plug them into a group. But there's no there's no following of process of trying to help take this person from point A to point B, and uh, until they are actually ministering. In fact, uh, I think it was even David Bond that that may have shared this in one of his presentations I saw. But until they are actually duplicating disciples themselves, they're right. not done. There, there you go. It's and the old concept then, of uh, making disciples that make disciples. That that's that the disciples. full the full circle yeah. of that. So, yeah, and and you know, let me let me go back and address that what you mentioned there. It is, it turns into a one man show, and and I'm gonna tell you the the pressure is real, uh, to, uh, and the pressure is real, and it's legitimate, and it's I mean it's it's right there, uh, to be the one man show because it's. It's your baby. I mean, you, you yeah. have this concept that, you know, God gave this to me and I can't mess it up. So you, you have this uh, this thing that you're carrying. Dave and I talk about all the time. It's like, you know, finally trying to let that thing go. Uh, but it's tough to do. Yeah. Uh, but but it's necessary and you have to do it. But in order to let go, go back to the whole whole passage of Scripture uh, man, I can't think about think of where it is. Maybe Exodus two, with uh, Moses's Moses' mom. That you know, hey, any any male child that was born, they were supposed to kill, and she held on, and she knew that in order to save his life, she had to let him go. And I think a lot of times, pastors, specifically planters, have to let the baby go, mm-hmm. but it has to go in a, in a right way. She created these reeds and went, sent them down the Nile. Where that, in my mind, the creating of the small group, letting people go and all of that is the uh, creating the ark or the safe place so that they can, they can go ahead and let that go. Yeah. So I don't know if we don't do it, we indirectly, and I know I'm supposed to be asking questions, but I kind of want to lay this out. Cause you hit, you hit me with something, man, that I, that I, talk about a lot with with planters or guys that are trying to uh, uh, resurge or just trying to 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 build back revitalize yeah they run into kind of the same thing uh, guys planting a church he's probably two years in and it's not really going well 
on a small group in, hadn't really got leaders. If you want to give him, now this is a Greg Addison question right here. Mm -hmm. If you want to get some practical nuts and bolts, we talked about a couple of three things that we really need to kind of look at as it relates to building those uh, building those small groups. What's one thing you talked about? You use the term knowledge doesn't equal discipleship. Now, the small group's uh, responsibility is to disciple, not mm-hmm. to entertain, not to... Now, you can have an entertainment group and you can have a whatever, but you you need to have a, a small group that does disciple. And you made the statement, there are three things we're going to try to go through these. The first one you said, knowledge doesn't equal discipleship. What do you mean by, what do you mean by that when you're starting a small group? Yeah, when, when uh, and I kind of alluded to that just a little bit ago, but just kind of brushed by, and we see it a lot in our traditional churches, but uh, just the, the focus on um, just the biblical knowledge itself. I know the stories. I know what the verses are. I, you know what it reminds me of? What, what comes to my mind is is getting through the study. And I, immediately, yeah, I, immediately yeah. I think like I a Beth, finish the book. Yeah, Beth Moore study or something like that. I, okay, I've been through the study. Therefore, I now am, you know, an expert on whatever this topic was because I've, yeah. I have finished the last page of the book. I filled in all the blanks and man, I'm a blank filler. Uh, yeah. I, I love churches where the pastors have uh, outlines that have blanks. Cause I love filling in the blanks. I'm a blank filler. You're a blank filler. But, uh, and so what, what you end up with is you end up with kind of this legalistic false, uh, belief of where you really are in Christ because you have, you know, memorized a few things, or, yeah. but but you've never applied them to your life. Uh, yeah. You know, if you you've never you know done this, the, the numbers are staggering. You know, if you ask, you know, your basic uh, basic Christian, basic Baptist, basic anybody, you know, should you be sharing the gospel? You know, whatever the case. But the numbers are staggering. How many people have never shared the gospel? Yeah. Uh, when 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 I was serving on staff uh, in in a church. The, it's it's both a joy, but it's also a burden. I can't, I can't tell you how many parents brought their children to me for me to walk their child through the gospel. Yeah, now, yeah. that's a joy for me, but that is sad that a parent could not walk their own child through a gospel presentation. Yeah, uh, that 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 it's because. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is, are they a Christian themselves? But I don't have yeah. a name tag that says Bob Johnson, Holy Spirit, so I really can't ask that question. But, um, yeah. but, but I mean, that's kind of a scary thing, and I think we run into that. We we've got a lot of people. We got we got leaders in a lot of our churches that that can quote scripture, and, and but man, they don't live it out. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so uh, that that's what I mean when I say biblical knowledge does not equal uh, discipleship. Uh, I think you know I give I give this uh, word when I'm talking about it uh, uh, to, to in some of my training. I go back in history. There was there was a need in the 70s. There was a need for us as Southern Baptists to clarify where we stood on the Word of God, mm-hmm. and and to and to make sure that it is the infallible Word of God. We 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 try to interpret it as literally as, as we possibly can. We go back to the original languages. That is our goal: is to figure out what it was God was trying to communicate to us through His Word, and and. We had kind of strayed strayed from that. I don't know that we had traditionally strayed from that necessarily, but definitely there were some of our scholars. There were some people that were kind of pushing the envelope in a different direction. So to right that ship and come back to a focus 
on the Word of God was the right thing to do in the late 70s. And so you see this growth of Southern Baptist churches and, and baptisms and things, all these wonderful things happening in the 80s and 90s because of this new focus on the Word. What I see now, especially in our older generation that experienced that kind of revival during that time, is now I see these people with all this Bible knowledge, but they're grumpy old cusses that won't plug into the church. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, as, as progressive and, and as, as good as they were for the church in the 80s and 90s, they're a detriment now because, I don't know, I don't know if it's a Psalm 51, they've lost the joy of their salvation. I, I don't know what mm-hmm. it is, but they're still smart when it comes to the yeah. Bible, still probably teaching classes. Right. But they're not helping the ministry and the mission of the church anymore. And so how so, did, let, me, let me jump in, right? So how do, how do you get a planter not to be the old cuss in 2035, you know, should Jesus delay his return, you know? Um, what do we have to, what, what environment do we have to create in order to make sure? Because, Bob, what you said, that's a real, and I believe, and, and, and this is not a knock on established churches, this is not a knock on the existing church, but I believe this is why sometimes we have these this resurgence of church planning for yeah. that, among other reasons, uh, because you got, you know, that. How, how, what kind of environment do we need to set up so that we don't turn into those people? Or, or will there just, through life, they're just going to be a group of people, you know, to no, do that I, or be I, that. I think I think where I first saw it was was in some of the transformational church stuff, uh, which mm-hmm. deals with revitalization of churches and things like that. But but it's this concept that first of all, understanding that a that a church kind of has a and and of course we're. Uh, we're not visual here, but but it has kind of a, a parabola, kind of an arc. There's there's a time where it grows, it peaks, and then it begins to fall off, and and it has this life cycle that it can live. Now th- that's perfectly fine for ch- I, mean, I think it's perfectly fine for a church to live out its life cycle, um, yeah. and and then die and then you know or die off and then when you know purposefully turn their property over, do whatever, but purposefully allow themselves to be replanted. Some of it could be because of demographics, like an inner city, you know, an old inner yeah. city, First Baptist Church, demographics changed around them, so they need to repurpose. But but what what that, that, that uh, life cycle teaches is that once you're slightly past that peak or, you, you know, beginning to see, okay, we've, we've got this momentum, but, but we're going to be losing that momentum in the next year or two, whatever the case, it's this concept of revisioning. Reevaluate everything mm. you do as a church planter on the front end. Demographic study, vision casting, mission strategy. You come back around and you do it again. Uh, you you don't say okay, uh, and you you got to check your pride at the door with this right. because a lot of these church planters started it a certain way and they think that they're going to be able to carry that for the next thirty five forty years. If anything, COVID has taught us in the last. 10 years has taught us is it's going to change. Yeah. Everything is going to change. And you better be ready to change with it. So it's this concept of, yeah, you've got this momentum. Now, every so often I have to reevaluate. 
I yeah. have to reevaluate. I have to go before the Lord. I've got to spend time in prayer. Am I being effective? Am I teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching? Is there a new group of of people that have come on that I personally need to invest in? You know, you did it with the with the core group on the front end. Now, are there new people that that I need to invest in? What's the next group of leaders that I'm working with? Uh, if you've grown enough, how am I pouring into my staff? Yeah, uh, yeah. So that there's there's all new ways to look at it. The, the other thing that comes to my mind, and I know we, we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about everything that, that may pop into my head, <laughs> but the same person that makes an effective church planter on the front end, mm-hmm. and you, you alluded to this a minute ago, same person, personality, drive, so forth, that makes him an effective church planter on the front end may not be an effective pastor once that thing's established. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some self-awareness has has to be in place there. Either they go plant again, or they take a different role, or whatever, or they or they hire a teaching pastor. I don't I don't know what the model ends up looking like. It it's God's leadership. It's them determining what's going to be best. But there has to be some self-awareness to say, okay. I've lived out my giftedness and my usefulness, and God has used me to get us to whatever this point is. Yeah. Do I have the ability to step back and let it go to the next level? A lot of guys won't. Well, you know, and you, you alluded to that utilizing a small group to allow you to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about, hey, utilizing the con because a small group is not just about, and, and I'd like to think that that's still discipleship. Yeah. You know, that's discipleship, that's mission, that's strategy, that's vision, that's all of that. So you have this group early on that says, hey, who did God call us to be? And then you turn it right back around and it says, not only who did you call us to be, but uh, who do we need to be after that that bell curve kind of yeah. kind of shifts and turns around? So I think just using the the small group uh, concept to be able to drive that life cycle of a church is, is the bomb. Second thing is we're going to get to the second and the third, uh, the person, I don't know if you mean that the person or the people, and you talked about it before, I think we talked about it, must have a vision for what you want to accomplish in the small group. You don't just throw a small group together just to yeah. do whatever. What's the purpose? Some some of this comes from from uh, Willow Creek Saddleback and some of the things they wrote about small groups. And, and, and one of the things Willow Creek did in the early 2000s is they evaluated their small groups. The, the biggest, their biggest focus was using the small groups as, as a connection point. And I, and I don't have a problem with that, but as a connection point, but years later, Bill Hybels was interviewed and, and he made the statement, you know, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but he made the statement in the interview. He said, man, we, we reached a lot of people. We hadn't discipled anybody. Yeah. And so, you know, shook up a lot of people when he said that. Yeah. And so on, on the one hand, yes, a small group needs to be a connection point. And if you do the triads or the accountability partners, you know, there may be, but what is your, first of all, what is your why for having small groups? If it is strictly connect, then do it well. You're going to, you're going to have the type of leaders that are, that are bubbly, that are, that are engaging. So not necessarily your best Bible teachers, you know, if if your purpose is connection, you're going to want people that connect, not necessarily right. uh, PhD in uh, Old Testament <laughs> and Hebrew. Uh, right. So, uh, although some of those could be kind of interesting, quirky but interesting, um, yeah. 
but but if your purpose of the small groups or a particular small group is discipleship or leadership development, then you're going to put put a particular leader there that's going to take them from point A to point. But be purposeful in what you're doing. Uh, yeah. Control the curriculum. You know, yeah. don't just don't just throw out a you know. A, and I think Laramie used this term: don't just throw out a restaurant menu and let them pick what they want. Yeah. If you're yeah. if if God has given you a vision for what you're trying to accomplish, you're going to you're going to direct that through the curriculum. You're going to direct that through your training, uh, through the staff training, things like that. So, it, you know, don't just, you know, throw it out there and hope that God's will comes to pass. Uh, yeah. You know, it's God has placed you in a position to give some direction along the way. It's not a sin to choose what your people are going to study. Yeah. And yet our yeah. churches do it over and over and over again and just let whoever teach and whoever choose what they want to study. You have no and idea it, what it, they're it, doing. Well, it defeats the purpose of what you're saying is trying, you know, what, what do you meet, need to accomplish? And as the planter pastor, whether you are the planter and, and I distinguish these two, whether you are the planter that's laying down the DNA or you are the pastor, whether you're the mm-hmm. same person or the planter said, Hey, I'm turning this over to somebody else. And you go from there, you have to have a direction to kind of side note curriculum wise, does that Well, I think you answered that it can make or break based on what your, your decision is yeah. and where people are. I think sometimes yeah. we just, just cause it's hot. That mean it's, it's. Whatever. Yeah. And I think that's why you're finding, and I'm not necessarily recommending this because it creates, I just can't imagine the amount of work it creates, but that's why you're finding in a lot of larger churches and a lot of your church plants, um, the, the, the staff or even the pastor, they're writing their own curriculum. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're taking it, they're writing something based off of the direction the pastor's going with something. He's say he's preaching through Romans. So your small group is going to be on Romans. And then you have a Bible study, a personal Bible study thing that you study through for the week. And so there's this consistency. I don't have a problem with that at all because you're, you've got this one singular consistent message message that's being sent out. So, yeah. uh, and so yeah, the curriculum can have a lot to, and, and just to be flat honest, you, you know, if your staff, church pastor, church staff, you got to know what your people are being taught. I mean, it's just common sense, but it's incredible how many don't, don't have a clue. Yeah. And just uh, throw something box set out there and just say, we've done it. The other thing is uh, I think 40 days of purpose kind of changed a lot of stuff around where you would, you know, preach in a small groups or Sunday school would kind of follow along with that. First thing is, you know, knowledge doesn't equal discipleship just because, you know, when you're starting these small groups, just, you know, the leaders or facilitators, just because they know doesn't necessarily mean that they are equipped. Maybe yeah. they need to be in a small group to learn how to equip. The other thing is understand what you're going to go. What's the vision? Does the vision of the small group match the church? Yeah. You know, just because church ABC down the road doesn't mean that, you know, does it, doesn't mean that you can necessarily do it. But the last thing threw me when you said about a high energy leader or a promoter. Yeah. Uh, and that may be the church planter. It may be the pastor. It may be minister of education. It could be the teacher or facilitator of that class. But, uh, when, when I shared that with you, it was actually in the context of how important are small groups to your entire church vision. And so uh, what I've seen in a lot of cases is pastors, and, and definitely in larger churches, it's harder for them to be that involved. But, but I've seen pastors that just turn that off, pass that off to somebody else and turn it loose. They don't promote yeah. it. They don't see it as, as a you know, effective strategy for what they're trying to accomplish. They do, don't see how small groups can be. And so if you've got a pastor that understands 
the role of a small group and helping carry out your strategy, man, that's I mean that's fantastic. He's going to pump it from the from the pulpit. He's going to say every Sunday, "Man, you know, we're glad you're here. Let me let me get you involved in one of our small groups. How do we do that?" He's constantly, t- you know, every staff meeting, he's constantly saying, "Hey, do we have people that aren't involved in small groups? If we, you know, if we follow this person up and and have we connected it it's going to have to be a central message in order mm-hmm. for it to be really effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the terms that I saw in, in some of my reading was uh, whether you are a church uh, of small groups, a church yeah. in, in small groups, or a church with small groups. And, and each of those has a different meaning. If you're a church right. of small groups, that means small groups is at the, is the top of your list. Small, small right. groups is what drives you. Uh, right. And that's really a good model. Are you a church in small groups? Meaning... Um, you're a church and, and they are, you know, each individual small group is kind of their own entity. It's not yeah. really part of, you know, they're just, hey, we all come together at the same time, but there's no cohesiveness there. Or are you a church with small groups? The main mission of the church may be worship or something like that, but but you happen to have small groups as well. There's no real purpose to it. So I like yeah. the concept being a church of small groups. The so small groups is the main connection, the main assimilation and and man, that enhances worship. That enhances every other oh, yeah. aspect of what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are diff- different ways to look at. Again, the the church planter starts at the very beginning with a small group. He's supposed to. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, there's no reason why he can't just continue that model going forward. You know, a lot of times you walk into a more traditional church setting, you you you're trying to fix something that's broken. Uh, right. A church planter, I mean, su- is supposed to start with his core group and his core leadership. And yeah. so uh, he he has the ability on that front end, that first year, that first 18 months, to develop the culture uh, from the beginning. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, perfectly fine for him to do that. So. And, and that, that the break-off is real easy because they break off into functional groups, mm-hmm. and it's no shame. Uh, and, I, and I'll just do a shameless plug here. We did uh, for our worship team, we we did a uh, we I treated them as a small group, had a, a person that was had the, the has the gift of teaching yeah. and can can teach. Now, of course, you have musicians that teach songs and all this other stuff. But this person that was on the worship team, man, that's what they love to do. They didn't have an opportunity to do it anywhere else. Hey, here's your captive group. So as they grew as groups you know, as individuals in that group, it took worship to a different level, yeah. which then took our Sunday piece, which then other groups were going, Hey man, what, what, what can we study? What can, what can we do? So, yeah. so that's cool. Bob Johnson, thank you so much, sir, for taking time out of your, uh, your busy schedule and uh, running around and all the stuff that you do. You, you, you probably have a two uh, sided business card with all the things that you do from uh, it's, it's no, it's all on one side, but it's very small print. Yes, <laughs> right, right. It's all on there. It is all on there, man. Again, I appreciate you taking the time out uh, to uh, to come and talk to us. Small groups very important. Let's not get mm-hmm. hung up on the lingo, but we definitely need them. And you talked about that life cycle of what we uh, what we need to do with small groups. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Grind today. If you want uh, more information about small groups or uh, any uh, curriculum or questions you want to ask Bob or us or any concept or uh, uh, topic ideas here, you can email us at thegrind at absc.org. This is Neil Scoggins. Thank you for joining us today on The Grind. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Grind. We hope you learned something new and found some encouragement along the way. To learn more about church planting in Arkansas and to find more resources, visit absc.org and click the church planting tab. Be sure to rate and review us if you like what you heard. Until next time, keep grinding.